Today, we welcome Coach Kelvin Sampson to Take Care Tuesday. A former Houston Rockets coach and longtime college veteran, Kelvin Sampson joined the University of Houston men's basketball program as its head coach in April of 2014. As a 33-year head coaching veteran at Houston, Indiana, Oklahoma, Washington State, and Montana Tech, Sampson has compiled a 699 to 340 record during his career with 17 NCAA tournament appearances. He is one of only 15 coaches in NCAA history to lead four plus schools to the NCAA tournament and one of only 16 coaches to lead multiple schools to NCAA Final Four. In his career, he has been named a National Coach of the Year six times. Samson has received his six Conference Coach of the Year awards from four different leagues and guided every program he has led to multiple 20-win seasons during his stints. In eight seasons at Houston, Samson is the only coach in school history to lead the Cougars to seven consecutive 20-win seasons and became the second winningest coach in program history during the 2021 season. He already ranks as the school's career leader with a .740 winning percentage. In the classroom, numerous student athletes have received their bachelor's degrees, with one earning his master's degree under Samson's leadership at Houston. In the community, Cougars have been active, passing out Thanksgiving lunch to Star of Hope, Mission residents, and leading the Texas Special Olympics events inside Hoffines Pavilions and the Guy V. Lewis Development Center. Today, we are honored to learn from Coach Sampson about his philosophy on culture and how educators can create, foster, and sustain a positive and productive culture and climate. Let's get started. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we are excited to learn from you. Our audience is educators and coaches who are interested in learning more about how to develop and sustain a positive culture in their classrooms and on their teams and in their buildings. So I want to start off with an overview. Uh, what is your philosophy of organizational culture and how would you define culture in your program? Um, I think uh, culture is the way you go about doing um, your responsibilities consistently on a day-to-day -day basis with high standards. Mm. Um, and I've always uh, focused on three things in establishing our culture. Those three, th those three things are uh, standards, accountability, and expectations. Standards for us, and um, everybody can have their own interpretation of how they can have this relate to uh, their classroom or their organization or um, what, whatever, uh, you're involved with, but um, I think this, the culture can only be established by one person, and then he has to have set a standard and then hold people accountable to that, and then from that is where your expectations are born. Um, there's three people, and there's three people can never have a bad practice. Everything we do revolves around practice. Um, the head coach, the point guard and your best player. Uh, I coach those two. I coach everybody the same. Uh, now I don't. Um, uh, I treat everybody fairly, but there's different guys that are held to different standards. You know, a freshman uh, five man or freshman four man that's going to be part of a rotation or might even redshirt. He's a, he's not held to the same standard as far as practice as your point guard or your best player. Um, and, sta and standards um, have to be established. Um, last year, I think we had 108 practices. Um, I, had I had 108 great practices. I didn't deviate one day uh, from practice number one to practice number eight. 
but that was a standard that I set. Now, I have those same standards for my point guard. He is the vocal leader of the team because he gets his information at key moments from me. Uh, the first half of the game, the, the offense is always going away from the bench, our bench. So it's going away from me. So he has to have a clear understanding of how we want to play. He has to have a clear understanding of time and score, game management. And if he doesn't practice um, to the standards that those, those moments require, then he's not going to be ready to play. Then your best player, you know, his, his standards are being a great two-way player. Now, your best player is probably going to be your leading scorer. Well, there's so many different areas of the game that he can impact winning in other than making a basket. And I hold him to those standards every day in practice. And then the key is they start holding themselves to those standards. But if you don't have accountability, I think most failure in the classroom, most failure from coaches, most failure from people in leadership positions are they're passive aggressive and they're afraid of confrontation. You know, one of human beings greatest frailties is asking for things that you need. Mm -hmm. But it's, all, it's also um, a big weakness. And I would say that most of the coaches in the NBA get fired because they're afraid to coach their best players. They'd rather be their friend. They'd rather be their friend than their leader. They don't want to upset them. They want to make sure that they're in a good headspace. Well, um, your best player is not the most important thing on the team. But what's the most important is your program. The program is number one. It's never a player. It's the program. You know, uh, I'm, um, I have a great responsibility. I have 13 kids on scholarship. I have a walk-on. So normally we have a 14-member team. I also have a, um, a varied staff with guys with different responsibilities. One of the things that, I, I, that I've always taken pride in, I hold my coaches to the same standard I hold our players. Um, they have to set their standards. I want all my assistant coaches to think like a head coach, but I want them to work like assistant coaches. Because those were the standards I had when I was coming up. And I hold my assistants to those uh, same standards. So when you can set your standards and you have to have high, high um, expectations for what you want those standards to be. And it comes down to effort and attitude. There's only two things that as human beings, we really have total control over in our lives. There is nothing else we have total control over. We can control our attitude and we can control our effort. And if we can be first team all conference in our attitude, we can be first team all conference in our effort, and that permeates throughout our program. Then when our kids come to practice every day, they're going to see people that, that have passion, that prepared, that's confident, that's confident, uh, and is not afraid of confrontation. I don't go, I don't go to practice um, uh, looking for confrontation. I go to practice prepared to handle it. Um, because I want the, the program is first. You know, I can walk into gym sometime and I can smell guys that aren't ready to practice. Now those guys are gonna have a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not gonna adjust to them. They have to adjust to our standards. I'm gonna hold you to this standard. You're not ready to practice today? Well, that's your problem, it's not mine. You know, and if, and if, if I can't get him to where he needs to be, 
then I'll ask him to leave practice. And I ask you to leave practice, then you got to come in the next morning at six o'clock. And here's what you have to do. So you make the choice. So those are standards that I've set. But unless we hold, we have accountability, what good standards? Everybody, everybody, the first first day of work or the first day that the students are back or the first day that we're going to implement some kind of program, here's the rules. And then those rules aren't, there's no accountability in those rules. So now six months later, we revisit how the system went or how, uh, what we just installed, how did that go? Well, it wasn't very good. Well, why wasn't it very good? You know, systems don't work, people work. People make systems work. Now, what kind of standards did you set for the people involved in, those, in that system? And what accountability were they held to? And what are your expectations? You know, my, my expectations when I got here was completely different than the administration because they didn't know how to win. So I didn't take my cue from them. I knew they had to take their cue from me. I, I, I had a clear idea of how I wanted this program to work. And what I had to do was get our administration to buy into my vision because they had no vision. You know, every four years, they fired a basketball coach. 16 consecutive years, they had four coaches. That means every four years, new coach. Every four years, new coach. Okay. Well, where's the vision? Where's the standards? Where's the accountability? You know, what's, what's, what's the expectations? Those are the things I needed to know. And when I got in here, you just get a lay of the land. You realize if it's going to happen, it's going to happen because of you. You know, everybody says, well, I'm not getting enough support here. I'm not getting support there. Those, those are excuses. You know, um, pe people make their own way. Um, and being able to handle uh, adversity. Um, but when you set standards, when you have accountability, and then expectations grow. My expectations was to win championships. That was my expectations. Um, but it started, it, it started every day and how we prepared every time we had came in contact with our players. Um, whether it's in uh, our sports performance area with our strength and conditioning uh, coach in the training room. I told our trainer, here's how I want this run. I don't want uh, uh, phones in the training room. I don't want food in the training room. Those are my standards. Uh, in the weight room, uh, same thing. Everybody's to be dressed a certain way. Everybody's to be on time. Everybody's is expected to be a good teammate. You know, uh, ultimately, a team is full of good teammates. You know, if you have selfish people, people that are constantly complaining, people that are constantly making excuses, people that are constantly pointing the finger, they got to go. You got energy givers and you got energy takers. You can't have energy takers on your team. Energy takers are those people I just explained. They're immature. They've been immature their whole life. They pointed fingers the whole life. And you're hiring those people, but you didn't know how they were. But once you see them, once you see how they are, you either try to help them, help themselves. And if they're not, they got to go. You got to go. That's, that's the confrontation area most people are afraid of. It's amazing how many people in NBA and college turn a blind eye to talent. Well, talent without culture is a losing formula. And that's why unless you have a culture where the program comes first, every decision I make is what's the best thing for our program? And I tell our kids this, I make this one time a year, 
I got to quit saying this, but um, I I say if something were to happen to me, let's say I passed away, or something, I can't. What do you think is going to happen? They're going to hire another coach, and the program will go on because the program is far bigger than I am. I'm I'm just a steward. I'm a steward of this program. But while I am uh, the steward of this program, I want things run a certain way, and that's where culture comes in. You don't win by accident. You don't have success because you stumbled into it. You have success. You have success because you planned for it. You know, uh, the uh, in the last five years, the two winningest programs in 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 the United States is Gonzaga and Houston. Number three is Kansas. That's not an accident. Think about it. There's 365 Division One schools. We're the second winningest program in the nation in the last five years. And I've just explained to you why. Mm-hmm. Our culture. Now, there's, um, we talk about three things. Number one is talent. Number two is t- t- uh, toughness. And number three is togetherness. That's what we're going to be known for. We're going to get talented kids. We're going to get them um, um, to compete with great toughness. And then we're going to get them to play for each other. Now, if you only have one of those three, you're going to fail. If you have two of the three, you're going to be frustrated. If you have all three, you're going to win championship. So, but I, the, we have a vision. We have a style of play. Um, you know, we don't wet our finger and let the wind blow to see what we want to do today. Everything we do is planned. Um, and everything runs in cycles. Our busiest time of the, our busiest month of the year is the month the season ends, April. Because that's that, that's an evaluation month. We have to be on the road right away. That's a that's an unofficial visit month. That's an official visit month. Your roster's constantly changing. Mm-hmm. People say, "Well, the season's over now, coach. You can take a break." No, no. You take you take a break. You don't have a job. Uh, so everything we do here, uh, Sasha, is is built around putting the program first. Um, recruiting talented kids, and then uh, teaching them uh, how, how this thing works around here with our culture. And then the, the three areas that I think are key, standards, accountability, and expectations. So I have a follow-up question. So it will happen time to time where you know you have to hold somebody accountable, like they don't meet the expectations. Can you walk us through like how you do that effectively to keep that positive culture or keep your effective culture? Well, I, I'm an in, I'm I'm an intense guy uh, in practice um, every day. Um, making a mistake, uh, I think, is is good. And it, for instance, uh, our game started in November, and I tell our kids in September and in October, uh, we don't ever lose in those months. You know, we win in those months, uh, but we win or we learn, but we don't lose. So making mistakes is a great opportunity to learn. Now, where accountability comes in when those mistakes are repeated. Um, actually, I actually like it when our young guys make mistakes because it gives me an opportunity to teach uh, on the fly. Now, the, um, the areas that I have no negotiating, um, um, there's no negotiation, is effort and attitude. <clears throat> I coach those two things. I coach those two things hard. Like our, we just started Monday with uh, 
the 2022-23 season. Summer school started Monday, so we have our entire team here. And under the rules, we're allowed to work with them eight hours a week <clears throat> as long as school is in session. Um, so we have five weeks of summer school. Now, what I'm doing now is explaining to these kids the importance of giving your best effort in er every area. Um, if we walk across those lines, here's, here's how we're going to play defense. Here's how we're going to play offense. I want to teach defense and I want to teach offense. I don't want to teach attitude and effort every day. If I'm teach, if, if I've got to take my key, stick it in your ignition and turn you on every single day, then I do not want to coach you because you're becoming a distraction. You know, start your own engine. Quit depending on somebody else to get you going. You're part of a team. You have a responsibility. These kids, as they go on, their greatest ability uh, as it pertains to the team is dependability. Be dependable. There's nothing worse for a coach than see a kid walk onto the court and you have no idea what he's going to be like today. You know? um, but I learned a long time ago in this business, and this is my 34th year as a head coach in college basketball, if you don't want if you don't want problems, then don't recruit them. Mm -hmm. So that's that's why evaluation is more a part of recruiting than recruiting. Mm -hmm. Evaluate the kids you want to recruit. Evaluate the kids you want to coach. There's a lot of really good players out there I'd rather play against because of their attitude and because of their effort. You know, um, people ask all the time, "How do you get your kids to play so hard?" Because I recruit coachable kids that are talented. So when we're evaluating a player, I'm not looking to see if he's making every shot or how high he can jump or, or uh, how fast he can run. You know, the village idiot can figure those things out. Is the other part, you know, does he fit our culture? Do you have a culture and what is your culture? And how does that kid fit into it? So that's one of the reasons why we've been so consistently good for so long. Um, is uh it seems like there's a focus on other like yeah. a teammate like a global yeah. view you know you mentioned yeah. teammate a lot and accountability do the players hold each other accountable as well that's why we went you know uh two years ago we went to the final four this year we went to the uh elite eight that we've won the conference championship for five years it's because of the, it's a player-led team player-led player-led teams are always better than coach-led teams now the coach has to set the culture, and he he's he's the um, um, he's the bad guy, if you will. And I have an assistant coach that I designate as the good guy. You can't have one without the other. You can't be two goods, and there can't be two bads. That's part of uh, the roster management and 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 staff uh, balancing your staff is as important as anything else. But unless you can get those players that have been uh, I, I, me, me guys to be we, we, us, us guys and get them to play for something bigger than themselves. Uh, that's always been my, um, um, I always thought that's been the strength of our program and that we get kids to play for each other. That's why I talk about talent, toughness, togetherness, that we're, we, we're elite in all three areas, um, which is why we've won uh, 200 games here in eight years. That's 25 wins a year, average 25 wins a year. You think about that. Last five years, we've been ranked in the top 15, top 10, top five in the nation. Um, 
that's in the country, not in the state. So, but none of that happens without recruiting great kids, having a great staff, and establishing a great culture. Mm, yeah. I just have one kind of final question. And it's uh, teaching and coaching are very similar. Both require connection and relationships. So can you give advice to teachers and coaches? Um, what are some fundamentals to building culture? So if maybe they're just starting out or maybe they're trying to like re-attack how they build cultures on their teams or in their yeah. classrooms, can you give them some advice? Well, the only thing that I would um, correct there is teaching and coaching is the same. It's not similar. It is the same. Nothing's ever been taught until it's been learned. Nothing's ever been learned until it's been taught. I don't coach, I teach. Now, my title says coach, but my responsibilities say teacher. So um, um, it's amazing how many smart people out there are terrible teachers because they can't get their students to learn. So it's not about how much you know. It's about how much can you get your students to learn. And how do you get them to learn? Uh, the easiest people to motivate are, are the uh, students with the highest self-esteem. Nobody wants to hear how dumb they are or how lazy they are or how unprepared they are. Take a different tact. You know, I have 13 kids. They got 13 different mothers and fathers. They got 13 different families. They were raised 13 different ways. Um, um, God, God gave them their own uh, vision for how things are. So now I have to take each one of those kids and get them to, to have one thing in common, and that's the success of our program first, individual success second. And that's the, and that's the teacher's responsibility. You know, how do I get our kids to learn better? How can I make this material more appealing to them? And I think it's more challenging today, but I think teachers are smarter today. They have access to they have access to better development, more resources coming up. You know, I graduated in college in 1978. College graduates today are far smarter uh, than I am when I graduated, simply because the teachers are better trained. They've been exposed to more things, so the students are more challenging, but the teachers are better. So, how do we marry? How do we marry teaching with learning? Um, and I think that's where principals, um, school superintendents, uh, school boards have to understand what is, the, what is our number one objective here? Is it to have a job? Is it to have a paycheck? If it's, is it to make a living? Or is it to put these students that we have the awesome responsibility for this period of their life to put them in the best position to be successful as they move from one grade to another. How can I prepare that kid? And see, that's, that's what winning programs do. They put the kid first. You know, it's, it's not about you. You know, you're, you're a vehicle for that kid's learning experience. So how, how, do, how do you get better? And that's where the, the best teachers are constantly sharpening their blades, you know. Um, um, I speak at a lot of different things, um, whether it's coaching clinics or leadership. Um, you know, I do a lot of that. But one of the analogies I like to use is um, I was a head coach at Washington State University in the Pac-12 when I was 31 years old. Uh, I didn't think I was very good compared to the other head coaches. 
uh, I happened to be, it was a hard job, tough job, um, and they wound up hiring me. If it was a great job, they would have never hired me. But I understood that. But I saw that as an opportunity. I didn't see the problem. I said, holy smokes, I'm 31 years old. God, if I can do this or do that. But uh, one of the summers while I was at Washington State University, I was over on the uh, coast. I, I don't remember where it was, Olympia, uh, Tacoma, Everett, uh, somewhere around Seattle probably. But they had a uh, woodcutters um, convention. And so one of the highlights is they have these two guys that each have a pile of wood. They have an ax. And um, uh, they've got to cut that wood up into cords. And whoever has the most perfect-sized pieces of wood stacked up, uh, and I think they let them go for two hours. But every 30 minutes, they would blow the whistle and let them take a break. You know, they'd wipe their foreheads off or get something to drink you know, hit a bar or something, whatever they were doing. But in 30 minutes, they go right back to work. So every 30 minutes for two hours. At the end of the two hours, one woodcutter has significantly more wood than the other, and they both work just the same. So why did the one woodcutter have significantly more wood than the other? The answer is during his break, during that 30 minute after 30 minutes, what he was doing was sharpening his blade. While the, other, while the other guy just rested. So unless you're sharpening your blade, you're not putting yourself in the best position to put those kids in the best position for them to be successful. And I think if, um, if I could make a note to, to my younger self, like I'm constantly thinking outside the box now. I'm not, I'm not always interested in what the book says. That book was not always written for you. That book doesn't know where you came from or what resources you have or don't have. So don't follow the book. Get outside the box. I, I, that's what I would tell a younger uh, me is, is think outside the box. You can't do things that other people do and think you're going to have the same results. You know, uh, their students are going to be different than your students. They may look different than your students. They may have a different zip code than your students. But each one of those students deserve the same opportunity to be successful. And I've got to find a way to teach my kids when this teacher over here, this school district over here, this company over here may have everything you don't have. Okay. Well, don't lose sight of why you're doing what you're doing. Don't, don't lose sight of that. So what it sounds like is the professional development and thinking outside the box and doing um, what feels right for you, right? Like critically think is what I'm hearing. Mm. By, by investing in yourself, you're helping create those standards by putting kids first. That's why, that's why we take teaching jobs. You know, uh, if you want to be a door-to-door -door salesman, then you're not responsible for 30 kids in the classroom. Mm. You're responsible for moving product. But if you're a teacher, if you're a principal, if you're a school superintendent, your very being focuses around putting those kids in the best position to be successful. And every one of them is, is going to require a different uh, mo uh, mode of operandi. Uh, um, they're, they're all not going to learn at the same pace. They're not all going to have the same interest in learning. So we have to figure out how to get to them. You know, I can't tell you how many nights sleep I've lost trying to figure out how to get a kid to um, uh, how to help help a kid become better. You know, um, you, you don't get into this 
you don't get into our professions of teaching um, with an end line in sight because we have no finish line. Mm. There's no finish line in education. Now, all we do is we're getting them started, you know, and we're constantly doing that every year. Say, well, this year is over. Years never end. You're always climbing the mountain, you know. Um, I'm in my 34th year, and I'm doing the same thing I did 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, when, when did it? When does it end? It never ends. But you should keep. You should keep fighting the fight, climbing, climbing the mountain. Keep piling commas on. Don't ever put a period at the end of a sentence with a kid. Mm. Put a comma. You know, I had a tough day today. Okay, I've had tough days today. Was, um, this kid has no interest in this and these uh, distractions. Okay, how do I reach him then? Mm-hmm. How do I make him? How, how do I get him to the point where I can get him to see that maybe his attitude and effort, if I can change his attitude a little bit, if mm-hmm. I can get him to maybe get a little bit better effort. Um, but you know, and it kind of goes back yeah. to what you were saying about self esteem. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and that's why the um, um, what what most kids want is is somebody to give them. A, most kids are crying, they're screaming, "Help me!" and and they and they do that by not saying those words, but by their behavior. But it's a lot. It, you can't really change somebody's attitude until you change their behavior. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Coach, I really appreciate it. This has been really valuable. And I think that um, it can really help some like teachers, coaches uh, kind of have the uh, first step when they're trying to build their culture and, and being able to hold kids accountable and not being scared, like you said, to, to coach every kid and knowing it sounds like and knowing that every kid is unique, you know, right. that it's not one size fit all. Like you said, the book may not be written for us as adults, but that's, I mean, I think from what you're saying, true for the kids too. The same book doesn't work for every kid. Right. Yeah. It was, God made us all different. It's our responsibility to adjust to that kid. You know, sometimes you can't go in and say, okay, uh, here's what, here's the way it's going to be done. Um, right away, you've lost 25% of the kids, you know, because they can't do it that way. It's just because of their makeup or their background. So I've got to um, do everything with a comma. You know, I'm going to help you, you know, um, you know, one week in the class, two weeks in the class, one, you know, two or three days into practice, you know, it doesn't take me long to figure out a kid's learning ability. You know, uh, it comes easier to some than others, but they all require the same attention. Mm, absolutely. Thank you, Coach. We appreciate your time and um, all you do, and we can't wait to continue supporting y'all. Okay. Thank you, Sasha. Good luck to you. Thank, Thank you as well. Yeah. Thank you, Coach Sampson, for your valuable time today. The same book isn't written for every student. Creating culture takes standards, accountability, and expectations. Internally, we control our effort and attitude, and through that, we don't win by accident. Thank you for your time, ladies and gentlemen. We will see you again on Take Care Tuesday.